coming up on The Exam Room. This is a great study, and it was a three-month study done in Greece. What if you do a salt restriction and you also add the DASH diet, the dietary approaches to stop hypertension? This diet goes back a couple of decades. And it's a, it's a kind of interesting story. Researchers began this diet or formulated this diet because they noticed that vegetarians tended to have lower blood pressure. And so they thought, well, what are vegetarians doing? They're eating lots of vegetables and fruits. So the DASH diet was invented with lots of vegetables and fruits. And they noticed that vegetarians obviously aren't eating meat. So they thought, well, let's reduce the meat. Maybe not cut it out completely, but reduce it. But they kept dairy in it. And they did find that if you reduce the sodium and do the DASH diet, over a three-month period, you're going to add another, uh, or maybe several points of reduction off of your uh, blood pressure, systolic and diastolic. Fair enough. And then they brought in a third group where they did the sodium reduction and they also then did a Mediterranean diet. Now, Mediterranean diet is different from DASH. It really emphasizes the fruits and the vegetables, but it is not dairy-friendly, especially. Dairy is kind of an afterthought. It's not excluded, but it's not the big thing. And oils come in. If you're looking for what's the best diet in this study, it was a combination of reducing your sodium and also doing vegetables and and really getting away from, from dairy products. But I think that we can do better than that if we really put the best diets all together. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Aurora, Colorado, Birmingham, Alabama, and Nanjing, China. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 73 of season 6, number 469 overall. Excuse me for one second while I do my announcer voice. Dash diet, Mediterranean diet, come on down. You're the next contestants on Get Your Blood Pressure Right. (laughs) Today we have ourselves a heavyweight hypertension battle. We will be looking at a study that put the DASH and Mediterranean diets head-to-head to see which was more effective for treating high blood pressure, which had the bigger effect. And also, what happens then when people go on these diets and cut down on the amount of salt they're eating? How does that stack up to treating hypertension with medication at that point? Well, we are going to find out with Dr. Neil Barnard. He was my guest on the exam room live this week. And you know, we do the exam room live every Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel and Facebook page. So Dr. Barnard, he's gonna be taking us inside the data from this study. And then we're also going to go beyond the results as well. Hear about some other studies and what they have shown about treating high blood pressure naturally. And there are some really interesting results that might catch you off guard. Plus, we're going to wrap up talking about the best foods and the worst foods for high blood pressure. Also in there, the risk of hypertension. How much more likely are you to have a heart attack or a stroke? We can't downplay how important this is when we're talking about high blood pressure and the risk that it can pose. And also because today we're looking specifically at the DASH and Mediterranean diets, we're going to get 
get maybe a little bit of the principles, the differences between the two, and some of the do's and the don'ts, also blood pressure and genetics, and just for fun, we're also going to hear Dr. Barnard talk about his favorite dessert. We had an exam room he asked, and he was happy to oblige with an answer. So all of that, plus questions from other exam roomies who joined us live coming up in just about 30 ticks. Today's episode of The Exam Room Live is powered by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. You can visit them online right now at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. Welcome, Dr. Barnard, back to the exam room live. Great to see you again, sir. Great to see you, Chuck. All right. So hypertension uh, is affecting about 1.3 billion people globally. Before we get into the data from the study, let's talk about why this is such a big deal. Talk to us about hypertension. Well, hypertension is a big problem. If you think about it, you've got just too much pressure in the arteries that are going all over your body. And this is their day and night uh, around the clock. And so what does that mean? If there's too much pressure in the arteries, the first thing that gets damaged is the artery itself. The artery wall is getting damaged. High blood pressure is a key risk factor for artery disease, and that means heart disease. When the arteries in your heart get damaged, heart attacks follow. So major risk factor. Secondly, um, the arteries can break under pressure. So in the brain, hemorrhagic stroke. You don't want that. Uh, third, your kidneys have little tiny filter units that are filtering out the bad stuff in the blood and sending it out in, in the urine, and they do not work well under pressure either. So when people have chronically high blood pressure, it affects their heart, can affect their brain, uh, can, can affect their kidneys, and is something that luckily is readily controlled by medicines, of course, you know about that already, but also by diet changes. All right, let's talk about the risk there. I mean, you, you just named off some pretty sinister things here. If a person has high blood pressure, can you quantify how much of an increased risk they are at for that stroke, for that heart attack, those things that we really don't want? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, the, the amount of risk really depends on the amount of increase in blood pressure. So uh, the, 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 the challenge that we have is there's really no threshold. If you're at 120 over 80, if you're going up to 140 over 90, 150, 160, 170, the risk just keeps going incrementally up. And so you want to keep your blood pressure in a healthy range. Now, let me be clear about this. Um, the healthy range for a lot of people um, is 120 over 70, 120 over 80, uh, 125, 130, something like that. Um, if you are a really finely trained athlete or even uh sort of a day-to-day -day person who might might uh, go out for a good brisk walk every now and then, your blood pressure will come down under those levels so that you might be uh, 110 or 100 even, be your systolic and your diastolic can be down 50, 60. That's normal, and that is actually better than where you had been in the mid-range. You know, I've read a statistic this morning getting ready for our conversation today, and it said that hypertension accounts for about half of all heart disease and stroke-related deaths worldwide. And then when you think about what an enormous number that is annually, 
I mean, hypertension, for as many people have it, I feel like, you know, it's almost an afterthought for a lot of us. But that kind of puts it into perspective and really lends credence to the importance of today's conversation. No question about it. And the good news is that people can start bringing their blood pressure down today. And diet changes have amazing effects. Um, and, and, not, and it's not just lowering the salt, but lowering fat will reduce the viscosity of the blood. So that means your blood flows more easily, pressure comes down. And these same changes help uh, us shed some extra pounds. When the weight comes down, the blood pressure comes down too. All right, let's get into this study. Really interesting how they took the DASH diet and they've got the Mediterranean diet, two of the heavyweights in the medical field for uh, treating hypertension. What did we learn from this? This is a great study. It was published in Clinical Nutrition and it was a three-month study done in Greece. And in Greece, people know about the Mediterranean diet. They know about Western diets as well. And so the study, I think, was done really very well. They first started by having a group that just did a sodium reduction. And you're familiar with that. Uh, doctors very often say no more than about, say, uh, 2,000 milligrams of sodium in your diet every day. That means you're really not using a lot of sodium um, in cooking and you're not adding too much at the table. And by doing that, you do see a, a reduction in blood, blood pressure. And in this group, they found it maybe about uh, a drop of uh, eight points on the systolic and four points diastolic. It's really terrific. Then the next question was, what if you do a salt restriction and you also add the DASH diet, the dietary approaches to stop hypertension? This diet goes back a couple of decades. And it's a, it's a kind of interesting story. Researchers began this diet or formulated this diet because they noticed that vegetarians tended to have lower blood pressure. And so they thought, well, what are vegetarians doing? They're eating lots of vegetables and fruits. So the DASH diet was invented with lots of vegetables and fruits. And they noticed that vegetarians obviously aren't eating meat. So they thought, well, let's reduce the meat. Maybe not cut it out completely, but reduce it. But they kept dairy in it. And they did find that if you reduce the sodium and do the DASH diet, over a three-month period, you're going to add another, uh, or maybe as much, you know, several points of reduction off of your uh, blood pressure, systolic and diastolic. Fair enough. And then they brought in a third group where they did the sodium reduction and they also then did a Mediterranean diet. Now, Mediterranean diet is different from DASH. Um, it really emphasizes the fruits and the vegetables, but it is not dairy-friendly, especially. Dairy is kind of an afterthought. It's not excluded, but it's not the big thing. And oils come in. And in this study, what they found is that the Mediterranean diet outclassed the DASH diet. by Not huge, but maybe about three extra points of blood pressure lowering and maybe one or two points uh, diastolic. Uh, so uh, if you're looking for what's the best diet in this study, it was a combination of reducing your sodium and also doing the Mediterranean diet rich in vegetables and, and really getting away from, from dairy products. And that to me is interesting though. I, I hear you about getting uh, away from the dairy products, but obviously some were still included. Um, of the two, it sounds like the Mediterranean diet is going to include more fat than the DASH diet. And so I'm just curious, what role would fat play in terms of hypertension? Or are we learning that really it may not be the fat, it's really going to be the sodium that makes the big difference here? Um, I think it's a combination of things. Getting away from sodium is always going to help the blood pressure come down. I don't think there's much question about that. And I, I honestly don't think that fat is helpful. 
Um, the fat, unfortunately, makes the blood more viscous, more thick, and that tends to elevate blood pressure. However, um, let's say your fat is dairy fat. That's very high in saturated fat. Let's say it's pork fat, also high in saturated fat. Let's say it's beef fat, also high in saturated fat. Those are all part of the problem. If it's olive oil, um, olive oil has some saturated fat, but much less than in chicken. Uh, and here are the numbers. Chicken fat is oh, maybe about 30% saturated fat, olive oil about 14 so olive oil is better. Um, but to tell you the truth, here, here's my, my guess. Olive oil has polyphenols in it and a number of other constituents of the olive that just happen to come along for the ride in the fat. So the fat is not helping, but I'm guessing that these other constituents may be what's helpful. Um, so unfortunately, fat is a double-edged sword. It's got as many, as, as many calories as lard, so it interferes with weight loss. But it may contain, if it's the right kind of fat, like extra virgin olive oil, um, that some of its constituents may have actual physiological effects like lowering blood pressure. And, and in fact, Chuck, that's something we saw. Um, we did a study uh, comparing a vegan diet to a Mediterranean diet. And exactly what you'd think happened happens. The people on the vegan diet lost weight much better than the Mediterranean diet. The Mediterranean diet is effectively useless when it comes to weight loss. The vegan diet caused a tremendous drop in cholesterol. Mediterranean diet, really pretty much useless. So the vegan diet was better for weight loss, better for cholesterol volume. But when it came to blood pressure, they both diets were effective, but the Mediterranean diet actually had a slight edge over the vegan diet. And I'm going to guess that it's the polyphenols and other constituents of the extra virgin olive oil that our participants were eating. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. That's why I love doing the show, man. It is just fascinating, and it makes me want to go back and shake some sense into the old me who would sleep through science class, because <laughs> I don't know why this is riveting and, and, and why my teachers back in the day just couldn't captivate me. Maybe if you would have been my professor, things would have turned out differently. I don't, I don't <laughs> honestly know, Dr. Barnard. Um, do you, what, what do we know in terms of uh, sticking with fat here for a moment before we look at um, maybe some other diet, including uh, the vegan diet? But what do we know in terms of the effect that some other higher fat whole foods might have? Obviously talking nuts and seeds, avocados, things like that. Yeah, great question. Um, with, uh, with avocados, the type of fat is almost identical to that in olive oil. And by that, I mean, I mentioned earlier the figure, say, chicken fat is 30% saturated. For olive oil, it's about 14, and avocados have almost that exact same number. So in uh, olive oil, as in an avocado, it's mostly monounsaturated fat. So that's not going to really drive your um, cholesterol up and that kind of thing. But big caution, that whole big guacamole fest, just like that olive oil fest, it's got a lot of calories. So if weight loss is your goal, that's going to spell trouble. All right. Now let's talk about the the vegan diet study that we conducted. Uh, what were the parameters there in terms of the foods that uh, our participants were able to eat? Was it a strictly SOS free diet, no salt, oil, or sugar, or what uh, kind of guidance were they given there? Oh, great question. Okay, so we brought in sixty two people. They all wanted to lose weight, and half of them were put on a Mediterranean diet, half were put on a vegan diet, and the Mediterranean diet was actually drawn from a big study that we've talked about before called the PREDIMED study. That was a great study done in Spain, 7,000 people, that showed that a Mediterranean diet could sort of modestly reduce cardiovascular risk. Um, and so it was uh, emphasis on vegetables and fruits, but it did have olive oil in it, and it had some meat and some dairy in it. Now, the vegan diet, it just had the, the rules were just 
no animal products, keep oils really, really low. So it was a low-fat vegan diet, but it was not salt-restricted. Now, I'm, I can imagine a person saying, well, wait a minute, if you really wanted to bring down blood pressure, you would have reduced salt as well. And that's true. That wasn't our target. And our target in this case was to just see what would happen with weight and these other parameters. So it was just vegan, low-fat. Interesting. Um, I, I wonder if, and believe me, I'm not twisting any arms. I know that our researchers are, are busy doing things, but I wonder what would happen if we were able to replicate what they did with this particular diet but or this particular study and then do it with a exclusively whole food, plant-based, SOS-free, Cadillac, gold standard diet, whatever it is you want to call it, and see what the effects there might be. That, to me, would be something worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, I think so, Chuck. Um, but I have to say, um, there's also a psychological aspect to this study, um, which means that um, in this study, what we did was everyone went either Mediterranean first or vegan first. After 16 weeks, they switched. So the people doing the Mediterranean, Mediterranean diet now did vegan, and the people who had done the vegan diet now were doing Mediterranean. Everybody did both diets in whatever order. Here was the problem. When people started the Mediterranean diet first, after a few weeks, of thinking, oh, isn't this an indulgent diet? I get to use oil and I get to have fish. But they started to get frustrated because they really weren't losing the weight. Their blood pressure numbers might have been getting better, but their weight wasn't improving at all. And so they were getting frustrated. And even worse, the people who had had the vegan diet first, when the people who had the vegan diet first and lost weight really quickly, which is what happens on a low-fat vegan diet, when they had to switch to Mediterranean, they got really annoyed because that includes oil, which they didn't want. It includes fish and chicken, which they didn't want. And they started putting the weight back on. So when you do a study like this, the one that you're suggesting, Chuck, I think is great. But the problem is you're going to, you, we almost had a lot of our participants want to leave the study because they didn't like the Mediterranean diet after having lost so much weight on the plant-based diet. But um, I, I like your idea. And here's how I would do that. Let's say I wanted to really have a high-powered diet to knock down blood pressure. I would eliminate animal products, get rid of the dairy, keep oils really low. But if we think there might be magical constituents in olive oil or whatever, I wouldn't use the olive oil. I would use those same constituents in natural plants. So what you do is you really pump up in a big way the vegetables and the fruits. You could have, instead of olive oil, have the olive so you're, you're not throwing out all the fiber and all the, you're getting the food in a natural way. So I think that would probably be the most effective. Yeah, but now I can I can hear some of the exam room saying, I got you, Dr. Barnard, that's really good news, but don't olives also have a lot of salt in them? And wouldn't that be kind of counterproductive to bringing high blood pressure down as well? When it's off the tree, the salt content's actually pretty low. Um, when it comes out of a factory, the salt can be much, much higher. Well played, my friend. Touche, indeed. I want to say hi to uh, TM Peoples, who's watching right now in Jacksonville, hopefully staying safe and dry with the hurricane blowing through. Also, Kim in Ocala, Florida. Sally, who's watching in Michigan. Diana in Phoenix. And Anton joining us from Holland, home of Max Verstappen. Hello, Anton. Thanks for spending your dinner hour with us, my friend. Great to see you there. Kelly in Syracuse as well. Sherry out in Los Gatos. Having the global impact today as we talk Dash and Mediterranean and diets. Um, Dr. Barnard, I want to go back to what it was you were talking about just a second ago, where you were talking about the psychological aspect of it. Take a slightly different angle on this. Um, but Julie, speaking of psychology, as we open up the doctor's mailbag here, has a question about stress and high blood pressure. 
How big of a factor is that when you look at comparing it to a diet? Is one greater than the other? Acutely, it, the effect is huge. I mean, it's enormous. In fact, we would, we, we would see this in our studies. A person is um, arriving at our center and we're going to take their blood pressure because they're in a research study. They run up the stairs, they come in, they say, I'm sorry, I'm late, traffic was terrible. Sit down, we take their blood pressure, it's high. And if, you, if you'll just say, let's just leave the blood pressure cuff on. Let's just sit here for a minute. Turn the lights down. And sitting in the same place, just a couple of minutes later, their blood pressure comes down a little bit more. And then give them a couple more minutes, and as their body equilibrates, their blood pressure comes down and down and down. And tiny little things that you wouldn't even think of as stress and raise their blood pressure. Um, you're in a quiet room, you're checking their blood pressure, and somebody slams the door um, down the hall. Blood pressure goes right up. Or somebody um, says something funny in the room. Or somebody is reading a book, and there's something in the book that's stressful. Your, your body's response to stress is rapid and acute and much greater than you'd think. So little things in life will make your blood pressure go up and down and up and down and up and down, minute by minute, which is why in order to really get it, to, to get your blood pressure accurately. Do not do what they do in the doctor's office. Sit down, kick your shoes off, and let me check your blood pressure, and they, they write that number down. That number is meaningless. You got to let the person sit there for a while. We do three blood pressures, and we throw away the first one. So there you go. All right. Um, and let's also ask, there's a few people wondering about genetics and high blood pressure as well. We always say that genes don't necessarily have to be a person's destiny, but is there a genetic component to hypertension whatsoever? Yeah, there is. Um, there, are, there are situations where genetics can cause uh, blood pressure to go up. Um, on the other hand, we also, in addition to inheriting genes, we also inherit recipes. And so I mean, the, the way the, that we eat is very often related to what our parents taught us. So the way, really the, the way that we would test that is that you want to just have a person be on as healthful a diet as possible for maybe 8, 10, 12 weeks. And if their blood pressure has not budged, you can really blame genetics with some confidence. All right. Uh, we've been talking about food here, but we've got a question from Yanni at 1215. Hi, guys. Is caffeine bad for my high blood pressure? Oh, boy. We're talking right to the coffee and tea drinkers, Dr. Barnard. <laughs> Modest effect. Uh, there is an effect. Um, there's not much question about it. There is an effect, but it's not huge. And you also get tolerance as time goes on. So a person has been a coffee lover for um, you know even some months, the, the, the effect of caffeine on your blood pressure tends to go down. All right, let's go, let's go to a 201 level question here. Really raise our health IQs. Take a question from Bit Finesse at 1210, wondering about potassium, right? And to reduce blood pressure, doesn't the potassium have to be increased along with dropping the sodium, Dr. Barnard? Well, oh, great question. Well, that's sort of what happens naturally because when you're getting away from animal products, cheese is loaded with sodium, more sodium in cheese than potato chips. Throughout the cheese, bring in the vegetables and the fruits and the uh, and so forth, they are naturally very low in sodium and they're high in potassium. That's sort of their favorite mineral. Mineral. So your blood pressure comes down partly because you're avoiding sodium, but potassium itself tends to lower blood pressure. So, so they work together and plants have a lot of it. Uh, I want to say a quick hello to Steve, who's watching in Osaka, Japan. That's awesome, Steve. I hope that you're having a great time there. Um, Melody, uh, is wondering about how long it might take to lower blood pressure with a dietary change. How long do you think that might take? 
Okay, um, great question. I think it takes a while for, for many, many people. Um, the reason that's important is if I put you on a scale now, and this is the first time you've ever done a low-fat vegan diet, you're going to start losing weight today. Um, it, it, it will come gradually, and but you might start losing a half pound a pound week after week after week after week after week. That's great. Uh, if you have diabetes and your blood sugar is high, your blood sugar is going to start dropping, also in most cases within the first week. But blood pressure is often different. I find it's a little bit slower. Now, not necessarily. There are some people who have this blood pressure lowering effect very quickly. But in the DASH, the original DASH study, the uh, effect was quantified over about eight weeks. So I would give it really more time. And there's an even longer effect than that, which is as your body responds to weight loss, you'll see your blood pressure continuing to drop even six months or a year out if your weight is still coming down. So all these different effects, the salt effect relatively quick, the viscosity effect, effect of getting away from the fatty foods, that kicks in but takes a little while, and the effect of the reduction in body weight, that can take much longer. Same question uh, about cholesterol here. I know we're talking hypertension at the moment, but if somebody makes these changes to their diet, these same changes, how long might it take for the cholesterol to come down with that? Quicker. Um, David Jenkins uh, did the port portfolio diet. Uh, the portfolio diet was a portfolio of healthy foods added to a vegan diet. So he brought in people and asked them to get away from animal products. But then he said, let's have a little bit of nuts in there because nuts might have uh, a good anti-cholesterol effect. Some soy products, foods high in soluble fiber, oatmeal, beans. And he found that he could get a 30% drop in cholesterol in four weeks. So very fast. That's kind of rivaling what medications will do, really. All right. And speaking of medication, perhaps the most important question that we're going to have all day comes to us from Tina at 1220. How would one know if it's safe to lower or get off of their blood pressure medication? All right. When your doctor says so. Leave it at that, really. Um, do not throw them away on your own because high blood pressure can kill you. Um, it can harm your kidneys, and this is not something to fool around with. So you definitely want to, to follow a healthful diet, and you, you're, you're going to start to get a sign that you may be on too much medication because you've been on this diet for a while, your blood pressure is coming down, and one day you stand up a little too quickly from your table and you get light, lightheaded. That's a sign that your medications are too strong for you. So be in touch with your doctor. And many people are on one, two, or three, or even more different medications for their blood pressure. Their doctor starts lowering doses and kicking those medicines out kind of one by one and, and work with your doctor to make that happen. Yeah, so let, let's talk tangible steps here. I mean, is it as simple as calling up the doctor's office and saying, hey, I've made these changes to my diet. I need to come back in to be reevaluated for my blood pressure medication and, and just leave it, as you said, as simple as that. Yeah, I mean, that's what you should do. You should, you should make sure that your doctor knows what you're doing because your doctor knows the risks of this and, and can also back you off the medications in a sensible way. There's certain ones they back off first and others they keep you on longer, kind of depending on side effects and so forth. But you can go into your doctor and make your doctor's job a lot easier with data. You can get a blood pressure monitor very cheap, uh, very cheaply at any drugstore and take your blood pressure carefully and write it down. Take it at different times a day. Take it when you first wake up in the morning, that's going to typically be your lowest. Um, take it when you're at rest, take a couple of, uh, of readings, write them down, bring them in. And that will give your, do your doctor some terrific uh, data to go on. 
Yeah, and better to be proactive than reactive and wait for those symptoms to kick in, correct? Oh, you said it, absolutely. Um, and you can, you, nowadays, you don't necessarily have to go to your doctor's office. You can call the office and say, here are my numbers. I made a big change in my diet. Here's where I am. And your doctor can sometimes uh, uh, just work with you over the phone or through telemedicine to bring your medicines down. Oh, and that's no joke. My wife and I moved uh, away from the city out into a little slice of country and we're able to maintain our primary care physician through the wonders of telemedicine. It, it's been great. And so for something like this, you really don't miss a beat and it certainly saves us an hour and a half drive. It's fantastic. So you said it, you know, the, the doctor doesn't need to put a stethoscope on your chest, you mm-hmm. know, or, you know, or, or to take your temperature to lower your blood pressure medicines. If the doctor's got the numbers that you've taken carefully, your doctor can talk with you about that. Um, the thing not to do is to just throw your pills away. Um, the, the thing to do is to get some good data and uh, make sure your doctor can talk with you about getting off your medications, which, which I have to say is a, a terrific feeling when that happens. For sure. And by the way, uh, telemedicine visits are available at the Barnard Medical Center. You can visit barnardmedical.org to visit with one of our doctors or dietitians. It's available in a large part of the country. So click on that website to get a full list of states where services are available. Barnardmedical.org, Dr. Jim Loomis, uh, Dr. Vanita Rahman, so many wonderful people are working there. Uh, just just phenomenal. Uh, all I hear is rave reviews. Um, so good stuff there. Let's go ahead and talk about about, let me see, I want to get a good question for you. I want to get a really good question. Somebody who wants to talk about, ah, breakfast, the most important meal of the day, Dr. Barnard. David's thoughts at 1225. So he's offering you a penny for yours in this case. What is the best breakfast for lowering blood pressure? Wondering specifically about oatmeal and blueberries and bananas. How's that going to treat it? Oh, well, what a nice idea. Um, First of all, all those foods that you mentioned, they are naturally low in sodium. Plants generally are, and those all certainly are great. They happen to be high in potassium, also great. They don't have any animal fat in them, so your blood viscosity is going to come down. Those foods that you mentioned happen to fit into all the diets that we mentioned. They're part of DASH, they're part of Mediterranean, they're certainly part of vegan. So um, you can't go wrong by including those. Um, but you don't have to limit yourself to those foods as well. I mean, there's a huge range of fruits you can have vegetables for breakfast as well if you want to. The whole grain group and uh, and my friends down in Mexico will start their day with black beans for breakfast. If you do, get them out of the can that says no sodium added, or you can make your own without adding, adding sodium. So um, the world is yours. Uh, let's go to LRF at 1222. Interesting question here. Where should we be getting our iodine if we cut sodium from the diet? Ah, okay. I know what you're... Okay. Very sophisticated question. Um, for many people, that their salt that they add to their foods is iodized salt. This is a product, you know, the Morton Salt Company with the little girl and the umbrella on the blue canister that came out around 1925. And it was a great thing because they added iodine and just about overnight, iodine deficiency was gone in the United States. That was a great thing. But nowadays, people are, are doing two things. They're either avoiding sodium to bring their blood pressure down, or they are, might, might just be having other kinds of salt, like sea salt or Himalayan salt or kosher salt, which do not have iodine in them unless it's specifically marked on the label, and many of them just don't have it. So that means they're missing kind of the big source of iodine, and, and that's your question. So good on you. Um, you can go a couple of, of routes. Uh, if you ask the dairy industry, they would say, well, milk products have some iodine in it. 
But what they didn't want to tell you is that that iodine comes from the disinfectant that's used to clean the, the cow's udder. And they don't really remove the disinfectant very well. So when they put on the milking tubes, the disinfectant gets into the milk and it's an iodized disinfectant. So that's what you're drinking. They also sometimes give them iodine supplements. So it's, it's not a natural thing. Uh, the, the best sources are you, you can go to the store if you want. Any health food store has iodine supplements and they're usually derived from kelp or some other seaweed. And the amount you need is 150 micrograms a day. Fair enough. You can do that. Or just have the seaweed directly. You know, if we were people in Japan, as some of our viewers are, um, who had seaweed every day, you would never be deficient in iodine. But if, like me, you grew up in North Dakota and you never knew what a seaweed salad was, it's a, I mean, you really don't. It's, it's a good thing to get to know. Um, so you go into the sushi bar, don't give me the fish sushi, give me that cucumber roll, that nori wrap, high in iodine. The wakame in your miso soup, high in iodine. Get to know the sea vegetables. Yeah, that nori doesn't come from North Dakota? I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> Sorry to say no. <laughs> but, it's, but it's a delicious thing and very healthy. Uh, let's take a question from Dave at 1227. Do you ever get the impression, you doctors, Dr. Barnard, when you're meeting with a, pre uh, with a patient that maybe they're a little bit nervous? You kind of touched on this earlier when you say, well, the patients, they come into the clinic, maybe they've run up the stairs, blood pressure's up for some reason. But Dave at 1227 is wondering about your opinion specifically about what he calls white coat syndrome says that his wife has phenomenal blood pressure at home, but when she goes to the doctor's office, suddenly it jumps up into the 170s or 180s over 90. So what is white coat syndrome and how in the world do you go about calming the nerves of a patient who might be a little bit jittery about seeing you that day? Don't look at the bill. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, this is true. It's really a true thing. The white coat syndrome is huge. A person, exactly as, as the, the, the question was, was phrased, a person has pretty good blood pressure at home. They go into the clinic. And first of all, the transportation that got you there makes you nervous. You're nervous about what the doctor may find. And there's just something about that white coat that makes your blood pressure go way, way up. Um, so that's an issue. Um, and also people will discover that sometimes one person will elicit a higher blood pressure compared with, say, the physician assistant who's wearing scrubs and is a little more personal, <laughs> perhaps, or something like that. So different people elicit different effects. That's why I was arguing earlier for collecting some pretty good data at home. And let me make a pitch for this. You can get a digital blood pressure a monitor. They don't last forever, but they're, they're pretty cheap. Um, and you can use it. It's very simple. You just put the cuff on your arm, push a little button. It'll give you your systolic and, and diastolic blood pressure and your pulse. And you write that down and keep a log. Don't look at the bill. Man, you brought your A game today, my friend. You brought your A game. Definitely got plenty of sleep last night. And that brings us to Steve's question. Also at 1227, any insight on how sleep could affect blood pressure or cholesterol? Says he, yeah, he's an airline pilot. Doesn't have a regular sleep schedule. Man, win the lottery. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you can, you're on a high stress job. What can I say? Um, airline pilots have a lot of things going against, against them. Obviously, we, we, uh, we love our pilots. They, they uh, serve such an important function, but several things go wrong. One is um, you got a stressful job. Um, you have to be good at what you do, but no matter how good you are, it's a stressful job. Number two, you're traveling across different time zones. And sometimes the halls can be rather lengthy. 
and sleep can be totally disrupted. And I am sorry to tell you that along with all that the stress that you have and the disruptions of sleep, uh, blood pressure and things can come up along with a lot of other issues. Uh, so the, what can we say? Uh, you maybe can't win the lottery and you have to stick with your job. Um, so we do the best we can to treat our bodies mainly. And the airlines, as you know, um, have rules about how much rest you have to have. That doesn't mean it's going to be with jet lag and so forth. They're all going to go away, but you really do the best you can. Um, eat in as healthful a way as you possibly can. Be really careful about caffeine and alcohol because those tend to disrupt sleep too. All right, let's uh, play a little best worst here because people really do like to go for what they view as tip top and, and just go right for some answers here. So if I were to ask you, Dr. Barnard, uh, if you could give us a few foods, maybe your top five foods for lowering blood pressure, what might be on your list? Okay, that's terrific. Um, I'm going to say the top five foods Let's start with green leafy vegetables. And I'm going to say in, in, in this group, I'm going to put in things like broccoli, call, uh, cauliflower is an honorary green leafy vegetable, Brussels sprouts, bok choy. These are super high potassium foods, very low fat foods. They're going to be right about my top of the list. And second, right behind them is the whole berry group. Um, blueberries, strawberries, raspberries. Um, uh, very good in, in many other aspects of health too, but also specifically good for blood pressure. Right behind that, let me come in with my orange vegetables. I'm talking about carrots, sweet potatoes, that beta carotene and so forth is healthy for you as well. But the beauty of this is their nutritional profile is really very different from the other foods that I just mentioned, the berry and the green leafy vegetables. So you can combine them. Um, next up, let me, let me throw in rice here. Now you'd think, wait a minute. Rice isn't really super high in potassium and so forth. Why, why, do we, why are we bringing that in? There's a reason why rice has been consumed throughout Asia, because it's highly nourishing, a very healthy source of good complex carbohydrate. And what you're using it for is to kick out all the other high-fat foods that Americans use as staples. Our staple in North Dakota might be pork chops, but in Tokyo, it's rice. I'm going to bring in rice, and if it's brown rice, you get the fiber along with it as well. So, and the last, the, the last group, I want to really bring in black beans and pinto beans, um, because the, the bean group, uh, provides lots of great minerals for you to help bring blood pressure down. Virtually zero fat, zero, pretty much zero saturated fat, very high in fiber, specifically soluble fiber that brings your cholesterol down too. Those beans, I, I love that you ended with that. That just tees up a callback to the interview I just did with Dan Butner. Uh, he's got the new book, uh, Secrets for Living Longer, his latest research from uh, the Blue Zones. And he said on the show, Dr. Barnard, that the average American could live about 14 years longer if they adopted these principles that he's discovered in these now six Blue Zones around the world. And when we got into the topic of food, which of course that's gonna happen here on the exam room, he brought up beans. And to him, like beans are perhaps one of the most healthy, longevity-promoting foods out there in existence. And he specifically talked about black beans and I believe pinto beans as well. So you really hit the two uh, right on the head, which works well because uh, for you, who I know you have an affinity for Mexican food, right. those are the two go-to beans, man. So you're in pretty good shape there. <laughs> you know, beans are great in a couple of ways. One is what they bring you. They have not just soluble fiber, but insoluble fiber. They have both kinds. And the soluble fiber is the one that brings your cholesterol down in a great way. They're really mineral rich. They have iron, but they have it in a good, healthy form. It's the non-heme iron that your body can really regulate its absorption of. 
which is much better than the iron in, in meat, which you really can't regulate at all. It's got calcium in it, which is super. And it's also great. Beans are also great for what they do not have. They have no cholesterol. In their natural state, virtually no sodium. Uh, they don't have, they don't have much fat and they don't have, they, they have no saturated fat at all for, for all intents and purposes. So, um, they don't have a good lobby group, but I want to cheerlead <laughs> for my friend the bean. They're a healthy food. My friend, the bean. That's amazing. That just sounds like a cartoon or a sitcom or something. We'll get that. We'll get that <laughs> workshop. Uh, we did the best, and I feel like we've talked about the worst kind of in a roundabout way. But let's address it directly now. What are the foods that we really, really, really want to avoid in addition to dairy, cheese, things like that? When we're talking about bringing down that blood pressure. Yeah. Well, it's hard to be worse than cheese. Um, partly because cheese is. Dairy in general is the number one source of saturated fat, and cheese brings this to a head because it's about 70% or the vast majority of the fat in cheese, different varieties differ, but the vast majority of the fat is saturated fat. That's a solid fat. And they add a huge amount of sodium. Give you some numbers. Uh, if you have, say, potato chips, high salt food, and you compare uh, something like a uh, uh, a brie or a cheddar or Velveeta or any kind of cheese product, they are off the scale higher uh, in sodium compared to the potato chips. So, so you've got the, the worst of everything. You've got the saturated fat and the, uh, and the sodium all in one thing, zero fiber. So I'm going to put cheese, all varieties of cheese really at the top of my list. And right behind them are all the processed meats. I'm talking about the bacon and the sausage. Yes, they cause colorectal cancer, but they are also uh, terrible for blood pressure. And not too far behind them are the unprocessed meats. Unprocessed meat products, um, unfortunately, pack a huge amount of fat. A lot of it is saturated fat, and that's going to tend to raise uh, your blood pressure as well. So if people avoid those foods, they're going to do really well. Now, you already know that you want to avoid eggs. They have a lot of cholesterol. Interestingly enough, people when people are busily blaming eggs for cholesterol, they forget the other huge high cholesterol food. And that's shellfish. Shellfish, yep, you don't think about it, but they are re- one of the top sources of cholesterol too. So I would avoid those. That's for, I don't, I, I don't know that you need a fifth. If you skip those foods, you're going to be doing much better. All right, two more quick ones. One's a serious one, and we're going to end with one that's just a, a kind of a knee slapper, but something I'm sure a lot of people are curious about. Copper is wondering, though, on the serious tip, how can you raise low blood pressure while eating a whole food plant-based diet? Not quite sure exactly what their situation is, but maybe it is a case where they've had sky-high blood pressure forever and now made some changes. So what do we do when you've kind of bottomed out there? Okay. All right. Uh, A low blood pressure has to be in context, really, here. If a person got a low blood pressure because they had had a normal blood pressure, a high blood pressure, and then they started lacing up their sneakers and they start exercising. Your blood pressure comes down. Exercise brings it down. And really high-trained athletes have low pulses and, and, and low resting blood pressure. And sometimes, you know, you're at the doctor's office and the doctor says, are you okay? And you're, you're more than okay. You're really, really fit. The doctor just hasn't seen a good, healthy, low pulse and low blood pressure in a while. So there are good reasons to have a low blood pressure. That's fitness. But I'm guessing, Copper, that, that that's not your issue. If um, if your blood pressure just tends to run low and you don't have any explanation for it, exercise isn't the reason, um, you, you do want to have a, a medical evaluation of it. What's low? For most doctors, they'll say, if your systolic is under 90, that's low. If, you're, if your diastolic, that's the second number, is below 60, that's low. 
So the next question your doctor will ask is, what medications are you taking? And there are medications that will lower uh, uh, blood pressure. Obviously, the blood pressure medicines themselves do it, but so do antidepressants and so do a number of other medications as well. And then the doctor is going to do a whole bunch of tests. The doctor will look for something called Addison's disease, which is when your adrenals, these little tiny glands on top of your kidneys, if they're not making the right hormones naturally, blood pressure regulation is tough for your body. So it can be a serious condition and you want to get it evaluated. All right. Final question. Uh, when you are really, you got something craving there for the old sweet tooth, what gets your blood pressure up? Like, what do you see? And you're like, oh boy, that's what I got to do. <laughs> Kathy wants to know, what does Dr. Barnard's sweet treat look like? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I got to tell you something else. Different, different people have different um, desires for sweets and different tolerance for sweets. If you, I don't know if you've ever done this. Go to a Japanese restaurant and look at their desserts. You can do the same thing in a lot of Chinese restaurants. And sometimes it's, it's something like um, berries or a little pudding that's really not sweet at all. And you call the waiter over and you say, wait, you know, where's the ice cream? Where's the chocolate? Where's the cake? They say, oh, that's too sweet. We don't do that. So the, the point I'm making is that different people have sort of different cultural traditions that they follow. And there's some who really don't go much for those really sickly sweet foods. And I have to tell you, that's kind of me. But if you wanted me to, to pick my really favorite, really sweet foods, I'm going to put, say, mangoes and papayas at the top of the list. But my favorite, favorite dessert of all is you take a mango, and which we never had in Fargo, I want to tell you, but I've discovered them since. You cut it up and you mix it with some blueberries and some bananas. If you want to sprinkle a couple of almond slivers on top, you can. But the combination of flavors comes together. It is sweet, but not crazily so. And you know what? There's not a touch of guilt afterward. I'm on board with that train. I'm on board with that train. And I suspect that our mutual friend Cyrus Kambata from Mastering Diabetes, whose like handle on social media is Mango Man Nutrition, would also be all over this idea. So well done, sir. Well done. Uh, absolutely can't go wrong with a good mango. Tell you what else you can't go wrong with, Dr. Barnard. And that's joining us on November 7th for the exam room live and in person. We're talking a lot about blood pressure today. Somebody who's contributed so much to cardiovascular health and nutrition is Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn and honestly, the entire Esselstyn family. So on November 7th, Dr. Barnard, you and I, we're going to be at the National Press Club along with the entire Esselstyn family. We're going to give them an award honoring all of their contributions to our health community and then looking at their legacy, what they have built, and then how it's going to carry us into a healthier future as well. Can't wait for the show. We had a lot of fun doing the live show in LA and then in New York, but this one is kind of the piece de resistance, so to speak. November 7th at the National Press Club. I cannot wait, Dr. Barnard. It, it is going to be beautiful, I have to say. And I, I think just what you said, I think it's going to be the best one yet. And first of all, the venue is gorgeous. I don't know how many people have been in, in that ballroom at the National Press Club. It is, it's the place where presidents come to give lectures and, and all the dignitaries have, have, have been there. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous place. And to have uh, in such a historical place, to have somebody who's really changed the history of human health, uh, Caldwell Esselstyn and his beautiful family, all there with us live and for us to be able to have a good conversation with, with everybody uh, is going to be really wonderful. And you know what just blows my mind? I say this with all humility. 
the fact that this show has grown to the point where we can do an episode at a historic venue like the National Press Club, that to me is amazing. And it just reaffirms everything that I've suspected and all of the kind words that the exam roomies have shared is that this show is making a difference. And the difference between the exam room and so many other podcasts out there is like, we're not just entertainment, we're infotainment. We are changing lives, we are saving lives, we are helping people achieve those health goals that Dr. Barnard, they have thought their entire lives have been absolutely impossible to achieve. But because we get experts on here like you, Dr. Will Bolswitz, the Esselstyns, we are able to move the needle for them for the first time in their entire life to give them the future that they have craved. And so to be able to do that on such a grand stage as the National Press Club, to me, is just the coolest thing in the entire world, to be honest with you. When you walk down the hallway to, to go into that ballroom, you see pictures of, of dignitaries from you know, many, many decades past in that, in that place. And a whole lot of words have been said in that, in that room that you and I are going to be in. But I have to say, uh, when you take the microphone, I think that's going to be the best ever. <laughs> I, yeah, I got to tell you. And I'm gonna gonna see, I, want to, I want to see your picture on the wall. I'll do my best. Hey, you know what? I'll bring one to tape up, if nothing All else. Right. All right. Uh, and then September 20th, before that, I mean, you don't have to wait to have ourselves a little get-together. Down in Norfolk, Virginia, you, sir, are going to be taking the stage. Uh, Carbon Works event. What's happening at the Narrow on the 20th, my friend? Yeah, it's going to be really fun. The, the Narrow Cinema is, um, you know this place, Chuck. Um, oh, it's, very it's, well. it's right there on Collie Avenue, right in the heart of Norfolk, Virginia, in the middle of Tidewater. And it's a historic theater. It's about a century old. And what we're going to do is I'm going to be there. We're going to start by talking about health issues and the body's capacity to heal. We're going to take questions and then we're going to turn the lights down. And we have about 35, 40 minutes of Carbon Works video. So that's my band, our musical band. And we're going to really, I'm hoping that we can touch your heart a little bit. And we're going to talk about maybe healing uh, the world we live in in a little bit of a little ways, a little bit of ways. And you're going to laugh and cry and. These are going to be beautiful videos. Um, then after that, I'll have a few more things to say. And then the Harbor Quartet is going to come. They'll be there. They're going to be playing live. And uh, there's a cupcake factory uh, down over on um, Granby Street. Yes, it's called Hummingbird Cupcakes. And they said, we can do a cupcake that is vegan and healthy. And we're going to pass those out free to everybody at the, at the Naro. Man, I, I can't wait. You think I would miss a show in your hometown. I'm coming just to hang out and maybe some exam roomies want to join us too. I think that would be a blast. I mean, literally my middle school is virtually across the street. I remember walking from class to do field trips at the Narrow growing up. So really kind of a cool, as you said, historic venue. So uh, pcrm.org slash events is the place to go to reserve your seat today uh, for the event with Carbon Works on September 20th and then November 7th as well at the National Press Club, kind of your one-stop shop for all things uh, the exam room and Carbon Works. And Dr. Barnard, last thing today, can't uh, wrap things up also without saying a huge thank you to the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial fun for powering today's episode. Because as we always say, Dr. Barnard, you know, the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund, they support organizations like ours, like the Physicians Committee that carry on the love that Greg had for animals by promoting not just plant-based health, but also working to end animal abuse, while also emphasizing programs that promote systemic change to benefit people as well. Totally all-encompassing. And you can visit them online at GregoryRiderFund.org. You see it on your screen there, GregoryRiderFund.org, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. 
Love them. Love everything Allison Mahoney has done. And to continue to support the show like this, the gratitude is immeasurable, Dr. Barnard. You said it. Um, I have to say, Greg was such a wonderful person who had such a warm heart, uh, such love for animals, but compassion far more broadly than that. And Allison's carried that forward so beautifully. All right. And to put a bow on today's conversation, DASH diet, Mediterranean diet, in terms of the study today, which one again came out on top, Dr. Barnard? Mediterranean's the winner uh, in the blood pressure uh, competition among those two. But I think that we can do better than that if we really put the best diets all together. didn't get the opportunity to talk about this on the show today, but all of this makes me remember being put on high blood pressure medication when I was just 14 years old because it was so high. I mean, we're talking about that 180, 190, over 90 or 100 range, scary high. And this was not white coat syndrome. This was fast food and junk food syndrome for me. We talked about white coat syndrome on the show today. But for me, this was strictly diet related. And even though, even though I knew my blood pressure was really high, it still took me years to make changes to my diet because I convinced myself that the blood pressure medication was the answer. It was the only answer. And as long as I took the pills, I was going to be okay. And I convinced myself of this, even though my blood pressure numbers were still high despite the fact that I was on medicine. So I kept eating the junk food. I kept eating 10,000 calories a day. And it wasn't until I started to eat a whole food plant-based diet that things really fell into place. Yeah, I had lost a lot of weight before I went whole food plant-based, but my blood pressure, it came down, but by no means was it pristine. But because you have 1.3 billion people in the world who have high blood pressure, including many members of my own family. This was just normalized. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't even unhealthy to me. Despite the fact that, as we heard from Dr. Barnard today, the risk that hypertension brings with it for other fatal, fatal conditions is really high. We just can't normalize these things. That's why I thought that today's show was really, really, really good. Really good episode. And I told Dr. Barnard as soon as we finished, like, dude, today's show was just fire. Thank you for bringing the heat and that information. And he agreed. He was like, man, this is one of the better shows that we've done in a long time. So I hope that you feel the same way. And if you do feel like you've raised your health IQ by a point or two, please go ahead and like the exam room, give it a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows. And when you do that, please also leave a five-star rating and a nice review so that we can continue to help this show grow and get it to even more people who are in need of this life-changing and life-saving information. And if you would like to share your own health success, in a review of the show, please do that. We would love to be able to tout your success here on the exam room as well. Links to do that for Spotify and Apple Podcasts are in the episode notes. And by the way, we also talked about the recent episode with Dan Butner from the Blue Zones on the show today. Well, you can go back and check him out. That 
interview was on the last show that we did. So go ahead as you subscribe, go back and make sure that you check out that episode. And then looking forward, we have some amazing interviews on the horizon, including one that I did with Dr. Garth Davis at the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine. He, of course, the author of Protein Aholic. So I had the opportunity to sit down with him at the conference and had just a banger of a 30 to 40 minute conversation. Just amazing insight from one of the world's renowned bariatric surgeons. This guy does so much good for his patients. It's not even funny because he does not miss the point that surgery is it's not everything. It's a step in the right direction. So he coaches his patients up on, look, man, we can do this. But in addition to it, you need to make some changes. And he preaches it. And he does such a great job of that. So it's a really eloquent conversation that we have coming up on the next episode. And also today on this episode, we had somebody in the chat dropped a question for the mailbox said, when are you going to have Dr. Milton Mills on the show? And he is somebody who has not yet been on the exam room, and we need to rectify that. But I'm excited to be doing an event with him on September 23rd in Omaha, the Healthy for a Lifetime Conference. Dr. Milton Mills will be there for that, along with many others, including Ella Majors, recognized as one of the world's top personal trainers by Bodybuilding.com and Shape Magazine. She's a coach and author and founder of Sexy Fit Vegan. She's going to be there along with Melissa Sherlock. Dietitian Angelina Stovall Amos, so many others. So I've dropped a link to reserve your tickets in the episode notes today. You can visit healthyforalifetime.org or just click that link that's right down below. Also, kind of a cool conference because there's going to be a dinner honoring Ben and Esther Loveridge as well. And Esther began eating a plant-based diet at the ripe young age of 72. And then by 75, she had lost 130 pounds, reversed prediabetes, got off of her medication, no more diverticulitis, GERD, constipation, all of that out the window as well. And then, oh, by the way, she was also supposed to have knee replacement surgery, loses 130 pounds, and lo and behold, doesn't need that anymore either. Such an amazing story. And you can chat with them at the Healthy for a Lifetime conference as well. So that's coming up on September 23rd in Omaha. That link for your tickets is in the episode notes. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for being here and raising our health IQs. Amazing show today. So pumped for it. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. Plant-based.